0: Anything we've learned to do, riding a bike, driving a car, flying a plane, practice gets us there. And you can practice to eliminate saying certain words. Practice it.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Ideas with Michael Bach. My name, conveniently, is Michael Bach, and my pronouns are he, him, and I am so excited for today's conversation and to have all of you here with me today. Uh, This is a new series that I launched in January uh, to engage in discussion about some of the most pressing issues that we are facing in inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility, or IDEA, as I call it. And I created this session to elevate the conversation and to engage with IDEA practitioners and champions, all of you. Who can share their experiences, both good and bad, and help people to learn from them. So these events take a lot of effort to put on. First of all, I want to thank my team, Uh, special thanks to my team because they do a fantastic job, but also I want to thank our series sponsor, Dentons. Uh, Dentons is the world's largest law firm by lawyers and has really taken their work in inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility very seriously. One of my dear friends, Kate Brower, is their chief inclusion officer, and I've had the pleasure of working with Dentons for nearly 20 years, and I'm so honored to have them as a sponsor for the series. I also wanted to acknowledge our sponsor for the inclusive communications theme, Vise Labs, creator of the Vise DI app, your digital inclusive language advisor. Uh, it's a fantastic piece of technology that really helps you to communicate more inclusively and you can learn more about Vise DI by going to my website at michaelbach.com slash Vise DI. Lastly, if you're enjoying this series, I want to encourage you to share information about it with your friends, family, and colleagues. All are welcome and you can direct people to michaelbach.com slash ideas to learn more and register for upcoming episodes. If you are not enjoying this series, why are you still here? It's weird. You should probably... Anyway, on today's episode, we are exploring the theme of inclusive communications. Why does it matter? And what can you do to improve people's communication skills so that you're not inadvertently leaving people feeling left out? My guest is Farah Hall, the Chief Inclusion and People Officer at Nine Story Media Group based in Toronto. He joined the organization in September of 2021 as the inaugural DEI leader at the Canadian Children's Media Production Company. He's in charge of leading and implementing the DEI strategy at Nine Story Media, which includes igniting the culture shift needed to accomplish this mission. His work encompasses all aspects of influencing leaders, supporting employees, and advising on authentic inclusion in the creative process. As of January of 2023, Farrell also took on executive leadership of the human resources function and added oversight of this important employee centric portfolio to his other job in DEI. He was previously employed at the Children's Aid Society of Toronto, where he held the role of Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And he has held other DEI roles within the Ontario Public Service, as well as HR leadership roles in the not for profit and the corporate sectors. Farrell, welcome to the show. Farrell, I did it again.
0: Michael, how are you? Good to be here.
1: Let's just start because for some people, they won't have a clue who Nine Story is. Just briefly, who is Nine Story Media?
0: Yeah, so we are one of the world's largest children and family content creators. And basically we're an animation company. So we make kids animated TV shows and we distribute them and sell them globally around the world. Our head office, our head studio is in Toronto, where I am, not today. And then we have three other studios around the world, which are in Bali, Indonesia, Dublin, Ireland, and then New York, New York, plus Toronto. And altogether, we have about a thousand, just under a thousand, wonderful people who work for us.
1: How do you define inclusive communications?
0: Yeah, so inclusive communication, you know, thinking in a workplace setting is anything that is our verbal communication with our employees, our written communication. That includes, especially for us, the way that we celebrate, market, promote our shows and our company, any kind of PR messaging, things we put on our internal website, or external website, and uh, additions to trade industry magazines. So we are talking about ourselves all the time. We're talking about our product, our services, all the time so it's a whole lot of things where we need to be inclusive
1: yeah and that particularly in the media space i mean it's kind of what you do right it's not just about inclusive communications internally between co-workers but it's also about how do you communicate with your audience which is children and immature adults like me so why would you say that inclusive communications is and i guess would you say Um, Inclusive communications is really critical to creating an inclusive, equitable, and accessible workplace, particularly uh, as a media company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, think of the fact that we employ people, just under a thousand people, and then we put out this product that is entertainment and education. For little ones, you know, the preschool market has been our sweet spot, but we're very, we're very talented, we're spoking out from there. So we have to think of who's receiving the messages and the little stories with the little characters of children, our little puppets and others that are in our, our stories and what those stories sound like, and also recognizing we're a global distributor. So while we may create a show in Toronto or create a show in Dublin, it gets translated and sent all over the world. And so it's so important to meet those audiences. So think of the audiences that watch our shows so that the kids and their families who we know are watching can sort of see themselves somewhere in a character, in a story, in a setting in one of our shows somewhere. And then absolutely for our employees, even if we didn't have, say, four studios, we only had one, say we're just located in Dublin or just located in Toronto, we still have to be mindful that we have this whole range of identities that have come to choose us as their employer. And that includes their gender identification, religious background, their age ranges, their levels of disability, their ancestry, all kinds of things make up who we are. They're all intersectional. So we have to be mindful that when we're messaging them, when we're creating our stories, that we want to be as inclusive as possible and make people feel like, I can see myself in a show, or when I receive messaging at the company, I, I think they know I'm here. I think they recognize that I'm here. They're, they're actually talking to me, and they've they've factored me into any messaging that goes out. That's what we want.
1: What do you say to people who, they're, they're not buying in. What do you say to, I don't want to, I, I hesitate to use the word conservative, because I think that word is, has so many connotations to that. But- What do you say to people who are objecting to this idea of inclusive communications, who say that we've gone too far in how we communicate and we're being overly politically correct or overly sensitive? What would you say to that group um, and, and sort of advise on how, you know, to address that kind of objection? Because that is a real objection that we definitely are dealing with.
0: Yeah, so unsurprisingly, coming from me, the answer would be we've actually not done enough. We've not done enough. We haven't done too much. We haven't done enough. And I would step back from the political rhetoric side versus side, party versus party. And I just, you know, ask people to dig down to their humanity and just think of the human beings. So we have these adults that work for us. We have these little adults that watch our shows and just think, don't people want to be recognized? Don't people want to feel like we know that they're, there? because there have been times where people are in audiences. Like, I don't think they recognize that I'm even here. I don't think they know I exist because nothing that's coming at me feels like it's centered around me or inclusive of me. And so I, I bring people back from You know, there's many spaces, especially in our world of social media, where people are debating, fighting, throwing darts at each other back and forth and back and forth. I try to stay out of that for the most part, just bring it down to a basic level and just say, think about how you feel when someone doesn't recognize you at the most basic level, just your name. So, Michael, I wonder if you can just play along with me for a minute, hopefully. Sure. Um, this is just an illustration. You know, your name is Michael. I've known you for a while. But if I just said in my busyness, you know what, the first name that comes to me is Brad. You know what, Brad's easy. B-R-A-D, Brad. In my head, Michael seems like a Western name for male person. So does Brad. But, you know, Brad's the name that comes up in my head. So as we talk... I'm just going to refer to you as Brad. And I'm not even going to apologize for it just because look at this. I'm sitting on the screen. I'm staring at you. You're staring at me. You know I'm talking to you, Brad. So it's like, what's the deal, Brad? So, you know, so hopefully we'll have a great engagement for the rest of this meeting, the session, and, you know, everything's fine. And as nice as you may be, after a while, that kind of gets irritating, Brad, when your name is not Brad, right? And so take anybody. If I asked them the same thing and went through that for a few minutes, after a while, it's like, Farrell, don't you have enough respect for me to just try to commit to memory my name? Your name is Michael, right? An audience, his name is Michael. Why am I going to call him Brad? Brad might be easy for me. It's four little letters. Yeah, that's easy for me. So take that example and think of that in every other area of our diversity, whether we self-identify as male, as female, as other, perhaps our religious background our ancestry, our place of birth, our sexual orientation, our level of ability, visible or otherwise, etc. Could we not just take another minute, and just a, a reflectful, thoughtful minute and think, his name is Michael. Maybe that feels hard for me to memorize. I'm just going to do something on the side to commit that to memory, refer to him as Michael, or the pronouns he's put on the screen, he and him, and... It's not that hard, right? And that's all people expect. And so even though you may not recognize it, even this may not be your identity that's excluded, just take that moment and think about how you felt uh, anybody in the audience would feel if I just kept intentionally referring to them as a name that's simply easy for me. Brad rolls off my tongue. Please don't give me extra work. Come on, don't make a big deal. Guess what? People have told us. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. So, yeah. So we haven't done enough when we think of those other areas of our diversity, our human diversity. And yes, it does matter.
1: I mean, that's such a great example of the simplicity of what we're talking about, but understanding the magnitude that that can have where someone is constantly referring to you by the wrong name or just not pronouncing your name properly, not taking the opportunity to learn what your name is or what your pronouns are or continuing to use a word that is offensive. And it's not, you know, this is where I kind of, I run into to things with people because there's a lot of really well-intentioned people. And so they don't use the more offensive terminology, right? But, they, but then they also debate me on, uh, I'll give you an example, the word crazy, ableist yep. language. And I'm somebody who lives with mental illness. So I have a sensitivity to how many words we have in our common parlance in English that are derogatory words to people who live with mental health conditions. Crazy, insane, bonkers, bananas, you name it. And, you know, people who would never say the N-word or use some some terminology that they, you know, would be, we know to be offensive, will also then debate me, well, you know, everyone uses the word crazy. Everyone uses it, so why shouldn't we? okay. But could we not find an alternative? Is it that complicated that we can't find a different word to use to have this conversation, to make that reference? I get what you're trying to say. You're trying to say something's amazing. It's wild. It's out there. But ultimately, what we're talking about is being thoughtful in our language. So bringing it back to you, do you think that people who are... I'm going to use the phrase from traditionally marginalized groups or equity deserving groups, people who are usually the recipient of said language. Do you think they've always felt this way that they want to be included? Or is this a new phenomenon that we're seeing?
0: Yes, people have always felt this way, even though people are saying, well, I'm only just hearing about it now. And we may say, well, they were there. They didn't speak up. But here's what the situation is. And I I can use myself as an example. Also, growing up in Canada as a black gay man, I've been in many, in my early work days, many workplace situations where there's language and communication tossed around that, again, is going by me. Not that I didn't understand, but it was clearly not including me. No reflection that my identity and everything that I am sort of existed. So I've seen invitations in the early days to work functions where, you know, I'm I'm told by a manager and feel free to come and bring your wife or bring your girlfriend. So a whole bunch of things, first of all, that part's not going to happen. And is it not okay to not have either of those or not have a partner at all? Right. It's almost like you need to come with another half, a significant other. And because you're male, I'm going to assume that's going to be female. Right. So did that matter to me? Absolutely it did. Did I feel hurt, and left out? Absolutely I did. I'm going back a few decades not to give too much away. Right. So I did. But what happens for people, maybe I've been a bit more of a loud mouth and hence why I do this work to say, hey, many people, I'd say most people, when you look around hundred of your colleagues and realize you're the only one of you, it's not very comfortable to <clears throat> speak up and say, ah, ah, ah. what about me? Also, people may not feel safe, because sometimes that means I'm going to disclose something that I haven't shared at the office before, or in my educational setting, or in another um, congregate setting. And it may not feel comfortable, safe, you may feel alone, and so people didn't feel they had the agency, the protection, to sort of push back and speak up for themselves. And as the decades have gone by, we have taught ourselves, encouraged others. We've recognized all these elements of diversity and encouraged people to speak up. But again, I will say that this work didn't appear. Now, this great quote from an employee who said that May 25th, 2020, which is the date of George Floyd's death, they said it's the date that people discovered racism. And that's a joke between her and I. And what I'm saying is, This work and the need for this work has always existed. In the early days, it might have been just framed as civil rights work or social movements. Um, We used to just have managers of diversity, et cetera, et cetera. So we didn't just jump on this bandwagon three, four years ago and start this work and start making people aware. It's mattered always. It's mattered to the people in the bodies, in the identities. And there have been varying degrees of safety and comfort to be able
1: to speak up what are the biggest barriers to inclusive communication let's dive into that like what's what's getting in the way so again
0: I'm sort of framing this in sort of a workplace kind of setting yep. you can spill over into education some other areas too but I think in our workplaces, Wherever I've ever worked, we're always fast-paced and agile, right? So, got to get things done. We have schedules, deadlines, commitments, etc. So, I think as we're moving through the fast pace of business, and then there's this pause to say, let's be a bit more reflective and inclusive. The first thing that just automatically comes to our mind, just like our unconscious biases, is 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 time. Time. Oh my goodness. Well, oh, that that'll take time to check with somebody or to grab some resources, and then in our world, in our fast thinking, we go time equals money and we can't afford it, right? And no matter where we've been in inflationary times or other times, budgets have always mattered in my world and there's never been enough money. And so the automatic response can be, it's taking time and time equals money. So let's try and shut that down, right? (laughs) Or do it as fast as possible or do the least that you need to do. But I'll I'll call out something that I really think is in the way as an obstacle, and that is our, our failure. And, you know, as I chat with folks, I count myself in this too. Our failure to recognize what somebody else needs, right? The whole idea of treating people the way that they want to be treated, which also includes trying to imagine yourself in their shoes or living their life, or living in their skin. We don't automatically do that. So again, I often use myself as an example. I am a non-disabled male. So in my racing to get stuff done back and forth, unless I take the time to int- intentionally think about visible and invisible disabilities and what we're communicating and For me, communication is both words and images and signs, all that. It can be so easy to skip over some part of my message that needs to be adjusted or a missing part of the message that should be included or more thought of what we're planning and where that's located, because there may be physical barriers that I don't see. And I've had this sort of experiment with some colleagues in the office to just call out with them. Look at this. We're just racing past this. It doesn't slow us down because we're non-disabled. But when we think about it through others' lenses, it's like, oh, my goodness. And suddenly it's like Mount Everest has arisen. But with consultation and discussion, we think about what can we do to get around this to include people. right? So I think it's it's that failure. And again, when you just live in your own skin kind of thing. Mm -hmm and you're moving fast, it is so easy. We we all naturally do it all the time, right? So there's some forgiveness there, but I'm saying just take a minute, take a beat and think about that piece of communication, that image, that space. What else do we need to think about? Who's being invited here? Would everyone understand this? Would everyone feel welcome? Would everyone find it barrier-free? Just taking that minute. And if collectively we're doing that and you're practicing it, You kind of process it faster. You naturally start embedding those things in what you do, what you say, how you say it. And it just becomes part of what you do. And you don't have to pause to say, now let's go consult with someone and that's going to take four hours and that's time. And it's just part of what you do. And it will also feel less perhaps challenging might be the word for a colleague around the table to say, hey, before we do that, Let's think of this group. Let's think of this sentence. We're like, oh, yeah, bring it on. What was that? What's your point? And collectively, we fix it. We address it. We make it more inclusive. So it's it's just a bit more time and thought, and it's not going to bankrupt us to just do that.
1: And that is, uh, it's one of the biggest barriers that we face to inclusion is just mindlessness. The yeah. way our brains function, the way we operate as a species, is that our we live in this mindless state. We don't think about things often enough. We fall into patterns. And as such, we continue to do things that are exclusionary. The key is to become more thoughtful. People ask me all the time, uh, how do I get used to when someone changes their pronouns, how do I get used to that? And it's the same way you get to Carnegie Hall. It's practice over and over and over. It's repetition to build up the cognitive category in your brain so that you refer to the person by the correct pronouns. It's the same way I learn people's names Um, because when I meet a person, they'll introduce themselves to me and their name will go in one ear and out the other if I don't consciously think about it. And the way I do it is I look at the person and in my mind, I say their name 10 times while I'm looking at them. And then that builds the cognitive category. And ultimately that's it. That's it. We live in a mindless state and that's what is one of the bigger barriers to inclusive communications is just a, a, we're not being thoughtful enough. Absolutely. So, I want to give you some time to brag about the really great work that you've done at Nine Story. So why don't you uh, share some of the efforts that you've undertaken at Nine Story towards inclusive communication?
0: And that starts with humility for me to call out some of the great team members I get to work with. And very seriously, I'm very lucky working in this great company. Um, I'll start with the fact that we have this marvelous marketing and communications team who are way down the road on their DEI journeys before I showed up. Thank God. I think, and they're wonderful to work with, collaborate to death. I praise them continually. I'm sure if they're listening, they're turning red right now, knowing mm-hmm. I'm not gonna call your names out. Cause um, but some of the things they do that they already do, because we like we communicate stuff every day. We're putting out blog posts and social media posts. We're putting out major announcements. We're putting out minor announcements, internal communication. And they often will consult with me and send me a clip of something. Send me a paragraph. Send me a message. Send me an image. But they don't go, can you just run through this and give me your approval? They'll often themselves sort of red circle things and go, I think this paragraph is troubling and this sentence is troubling. and. They'll think of some suggestions. I'm thinking of doing this to it, having this treatment, but I do want to run it by you to tell me if we're on the right base. And more more often than not, they totally are and we collaborate. We get some great stuff out. So working with a great team, that's absolutely wonderful. I'd also say that the organization, just before I came, built a list of DEI objectives. And one of them was about intentionally adjusting our communications approach. And so this meant, again, pausing because again we throw out communication messaging on the daily and probably it's even more than i see i don't work for communications i'm very aware of a lot of what they do and so it was to pause and look at everything that we put out on multiple social media platforms more than i knew existed then apparently for almost every show there's a blog somewhere that i don't see but i see the copy they sent for me to read and look at images um and there's lots of internal communications we have different movement in the organization um, we have town halls especially during the pandemic we electronically brought people together on zoom to connect our four studios and four different well three different time zones and four different cities et cetera, to really look at everything that we do that goes out really very very intentionally that includes images on our website, et cetera, to be more inclusive. And again, I say thank God they're a very progressive team, that they're just making the changes, et cetera. Um, something else that we've done that I help bring in is on a monthly basis, we had been sending out these dates of significance newsletters where we highlight various cultural, natural, religious, social days, what they mean, what they mean to the different regions, and setting that out as an educational tool. We've morphed that now into more of a DEI monthly newsletter. And then we also will celebrate some sort of um, um, major months in the calendar year, one of which would be Black History Month, International Women's History Month, uh, Pride Month. This year Looking forward to adding to that, celebrating and uplifting Asian and Pacific Islander month in the month of May, where in that there's educational pieces, but it's also using appropriate language and images. Everything that we put together is really carefully crafted and curated to respect and regard everyone in a very inclusive way. And so it's sending that message out in our internal and external audiences that we see you, we know how to refer to you. We know something about your history that we're trying to elevate and share internally and externally. Um, and those are just some of the things we're doing from an inclusive communication standpoint.
1: I, I want to talk about ViseDI because I know that you have implemented that as a solution at Nine Story. And I want to hear your honest feedback about what you've done so far what you've seen so far and your learnings from that. So why don't you tell us about your experience with sure. this application, which well, I should be clear is not AI. Um, Correct. It is, it is not an AI solution. It is a technological solution, but not an AI solution.
0: Correct. And hopefully what I say will help uh, fill in the color there. Um, and I would open with the fact that, and Michael would know this as a DEI practitioner, practitioner too, we often get Pulled into situations are hired by companies with sort of this thinking of okay, bring in that fantastic training program. It's going to be a day and a half. You just deliver that to all our people, and we're done. Everyone's converted. Everything's better. And then you're just sitting. I don't know what you do. And so it's this acknowledgement that the progress on our DEI journeys takes multiple interventions over longer periods of time than people think and i'm not saying that to like you know sell myself or anything so it is one training program will not do it one technological tool will not do it one poster will not do it it's multiple things sometimes repeating them so in that space for me of trying to do multiple things vise approached me and explained what this tool was and i was just really really curious and here's why So again, Michael can relate to this and anybody else who's a DEI practitioner. One of the things we do deliver and facilitate is training sessions. One of the things that we manage in those spaces is what I describe as resistance. And what that means is that resistance can come in the form of sometimes embarrassment and shame when in the middle of a session, somebody's giving an example, and I might have to after they've spoken i'll say okay so we're not going to use the term here comes one run that up the totem pole and then i'll explain why that can be cited as appropriation from indigenous communities and offensive. and so we'll just say we'll circulate the document so everyone sees it let's do That instead, so that's great learning. And so, there's this room of 30 people, or maybe it's 50 people, and you know, uh, 95% of people will receive that and say, Okay, great, yeah, will But the person who I probably responded to may respond with shame, humiliation, embarrassment. They may shut down, they go, Well, that's the last time I'm coming to one of these courses, <laughs> right? Um, how dare he do that? I'm, I've been in the work world for 20 years and i've always used that phrase and everybody knows what i mean and you know things we're talking about so there's always been that piece of this pushback this resistance this fighting of you can't tell me what to say or you've made me feel embarrassed in front of my colleagues. maybe it's sometimes in front of my more junior uh staff members in my team so vice had this product where it was explained to me that it's like Grammarly for DEI, but the running joke between Vi's and I is that I had no idea what Grammarly was. That's true. <laughs> they have to explain that to me. Because apparently I can spell well speak well. So anyway, um, but you know, the example that I've been using is just like spell check, right? So and I've explained this to an audience recently. In this room, we have people with PhDs and we have people with high school education, but in an office setting, we all use spell check. <laughs> we all use it. And there's nobody around watching us use Spellcheck. See, Farrell doesn't know how to spell that word, but Spellcheck does and it just corrects it and my message goes out spelled correctly. So Vise has this tool that's very similar to that and it will go through our messages and we've applied it to our Microsoft Word documents, to um, Outlook emails and to the messaging function in Teams. And what I've done is set up a pilot group at my organization after many conversations with Vise. And I have um, 40 plus people in this pilot group who I messaged in advance. They were very eager to try this on where we're experimenting with this tool to see how it works for us. And I know Vise is also very interested in getting our feedback, especially as a global studio uh, where we have English that's spoken in Toronto and English that's spoken in uh, Dublin. Um, Not that we just sound different by our accents, but we actually have different vocabulary. We actually use other English words that are used in Dublin, I had no idea what they meant, and that we used in Toronto, they had no idea what I meant in certain words, et cetera. So we have this wealth of input and it's checking our use of the language and what it does for us, it suggests that the word may, may be inappropriate. But it tries to emulate what I've done in the classroom to also explain why. So in your Word document, if a word is sort of flagged, it'll say, this word has this history. It may mean this, and you may want to replace it with these one or two other suggestions. So that's how it works. And I thought, okay, on top of everything else we do, here's a way to sort of break through that sort of What people feel is public embarrassment, maybe public shame when I'm correcting their use of a term, which is all well-meaning and I'm super nice and sweet when I do, but still people feel the way they do. But if it's happening privately and the tool does not send a report to me of how many times somebody has erred or whatever, it's just between them, just like Spellcheck does. I have no idea who's a great speller in my organization, who's a bad speller. Don't have to know because Spellcheck takes care of it. So that's what the tool does. And uh, we were very eager to try it out. We started with our large DEI committee, and then very willingly, our wonderful marketing and communications team wanted to be part of the pilot. And then recently, our franchise team also asked to be part of the pilot. So we're experimenting with this group of 40-plus practitioners in these different areas using
1: the tool. Have you seen any results so far? What what what? How's this turning out thus far?
0: So it's still technically early days, but we did a little check-in. People do love it because it's very private. It's just this individual tool, and it not only corrects your words, but it's giving you this history. So people are reflecting on I had no idea this term had this background. I had no idea this term or word could be offensive. And now I'll notice Scrub It going forward. So it has that wonderful teaching and learning application. And again, my friends at Wise know that I'm going to be sharing feedback with them, and I know they're going to pull our pilot group several times to get their feedback. But what I have heard um, is at least the following, and I I look at it through this lens of I want to keep people in the conversation. I don't want them to be pushed away. So sometimes it may flag a word that we are using appropriately, but just because it displays in red, so red usually and our side of the world sort of says, oh, danger, danger, or you've made an error. Um, And it may p- make people feel like they're intentionally using the wrong word. So going back to a conversation we just had, I explained that I am a black gay man. So I've just said that. But if I were to have written that out and given you a script of what I'm going to say, it would have flagged that word in my usage of that word, mm. gay, that I claim and I own. right? And so it would say, maybe you just mean something is not trendy or other variations of what gay has been morphed to mean, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> I mean what I meant, right? So it's not totally contextual right now. Another word may be queer. Some of our colleagues totally own that word and some of our friends and colleagues do not want that use of that word to identify them. And so depending on the context, etc. but I like the flag that is saying it could mean this. So I'd say the context is something maybe we can work on fine-tuning, but I'm not one to throw away the baby with the bath water um, and I want to iterate and learn from that and see how it can be improved. Everyone's been really enthusiastic about trying it out. And so far, people are overall positive, but I haven't seen empirical data on that yet. We haven't done a formal survey of them. The other thing it can do is that we can keep adding terms and verbiage to the tool, and then we'll research the explanations and add them to that. I think we just need to you know, focus on the positive, positive adjust what we can, and it could be this helpful tool along with everything else that we do.
1: It's change, right? We're changing. Absolutely. And that takes time. Yeah. Last question for you, uh, Farrell, where can people connect with you?
0: Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Twitter a bit, although that's kind of died and turned into X. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Everything's under my name.
1: Thank you for being with us today, for sharing your thoughts on this really important topic on inclusive communications and really thinking about some of those simple things that people can do to learn more, to change your behavior, to be more inclusive. Uh, in your communication. So I really appreciate it that you came and joined me in this uh, in this conversation. Thanks to all of you who tuned in. I hope that you found it informative and valuable. If you did, please feel free to post about it on social media using the hashtag #IdeasWithMichaelBach. Uh, speaking of social media, if you haven't done so already, please do connect with me on social media. I am at the Michael Bach on all of the social media platforms that I am on. The next episode of Ideas with Michael Bach airs on Wednesday, March the 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern or GMT plus five, where my guests will be Jeff Luttrell, the Global Vice President of Talent Acquisition for Atento. And we will be talking about the importance of LGBTQIA inclusion as part of not surprisingly the lgbtqia theme i hope you join us for that conversation if you haven't already registered for that session you can do so at michaelbach.com ideas or on your favorite social media platforms thank you for joining us that's all we have for you today and we look forward to talking with you again